Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog guardians. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm a certified professional dog trainer and I take my 10 years of training experience and I share easy to implement dog training advice with an emphasis on kindness and compassion. Welcome. I'm so excited to share more. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I am so glad that you're here listening today. My guess is you are here because you have a dog that you care a lot about and you're looking to train them and or improve your relationship with them. So welcome. I'm so glad that you are here. So everyone, today's episode is a replay because it's really, really good and I want you to listen to it. It's about um, what my colleague Carissa calls cooperative care, what we call consent and care. Um, and we are hosting a live virtual workshop for consent and care. That is happening on October 29th from 3 p.m. Mountain Time to 5 p.m. Mountain Time. We only have two working spots open. So if you want to join in, be sure to register. We'll include a link to that in the show notes. Uh, everyone, I'm doing a replay this week because... We have a puppy coming into our lives tomorrow and have a lot on my plate. So trust, I've got some awesome new episodes coming at you in the future. But for today, please enjoy this replay. And if you are interested in training cooperative care, you're training, you want to train consent and care, join us in the live virtual workshop. It's going to be Steph and I, and we're really, really looking forward to it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I have another spectacular guest with me, and we're going to talk all about how you can build more cooperation and choice into your dog's veterinary care, grooming care. Um, I know you guys have heard me talk about this before, but I think you're really going to appreciate this perspective and more resources for this. So um, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and kind of tell the listeners about you? Sure. My name is Carissa Carvel. Um I am a Karen Pryor certified trainer and um, I got that certification in 2011 and have been, you know, kind of training before and after that. Um, I'm located outside of Aspen, Colorado and currently share my house with a German Shepherd, Ben, and a Belgian Malinois, Emmy. Oh my God. I freaking love seeing all of your adventures. It makes me just want to like abandon Denver and just be like, I'm <laughs> Right. Yeah. We're really close to lots of fun places. That's pretty, I'm spoiled. (laughs) I love it. Okay. So, um, so I want to shout out your Facebook group first. So guys, Chris created a Facebook group. It's called cooperative care for veterinary. I'm sorry. What is the exact title? Cooperative training for grooming and veterinary care. Super. Okay. So this Facebook group is a fabulous resource, you guys, just absolutely fabulous. So I want to kind of backtrack because I know a lot probably happened as a precursor to the the beginning of this Facebook group. So um, can you share kind of like what opened your eyes to training dogs to cooperate in their care? Totally. So I think like a lot of trainers, um, I had a dog that got me into training and taught me a lot and forced me to adapt um, the methods that I had been mentored through and had used in the past weren't working with him (laughs) and making things worse. Um, His name was Dylan. He was a foster fail um, from my first shelter that I worked at when I was like 15 brought him home, skinny little pit bull thing. And, um, he went through a lot. We, we worked through a lot, but his, um, nails were always a crutch, I guess. It was always something difficult to get through. Um, it took multiple people, you know, holding him. Luckily we never really held him down, but I'm sure if I brought him to a vet or a groomer, um, back in the day, um, that may have been a suggestion. So, um, you know, in the house trying to do his nails. It took my mom and dad helping me. It took multiple people trying to hold a foot and clip the nail. Um, and he always had these like talons of nails. Um, we always called them his talons and he kind of had like boxer feet where you could see the whole nail. It was like perfectly trimmed. So that whole thing was showing. Um, and of course he split nails. And so that was a thing. Um, and then kind of the thing that, that broke me was when I would bring the clippers out and he would hide. 
and I was like, oh God, I can't keep doing this. So, you know, I, I graduated from Karen Pryor and I was committed to positive reinforcement and I, I tried everything I could think of and like, take it back to the beginning and maybe we'll do a Dremel instead. And we tried to build the Dremel up and it was just such a poison thing of let's grab you and do your nails that I gave up. And I was like, I'm going to just teach you to do your own stinking nails. <laughs> and I taught him to scratch a scratch board. And that worked like a charm. It was so easy. It was something fun that we could do kind of on a nightly basis, like zip line and trim nails. <laughs> he would scratch his own nails down. Luckily, the back nails, um, when we were living in a more like rural area, he was getting those trimmed down by walks. Um, but those front talons, man, they're always terrible. So that's what started me on the journey. And then, um, yeah, I just, I kind of fell in love with the concept and the idea and talking to more zoo keepers and zoo trainers, all of the stuff that they did with these animals. I was like, why the heck are we doing that with dogs? <laughs> um, and then with Dylan, um, as he got older, we started doing acupuncture with him and doing cooperative care with the acupuncture. And that just changed you know, his old dog life, um, being able to be calm and happy and get his acupuncture and feel good after that. So. Yeah. And I feel like so many people listening can totally relate to the Sherry, the story you shared, right? Because like, I think that nails is one of those things that like, I think as just like the average pet owner, we don't put a lot of consideration into. So it's like, we think like, okay, I need to clip their nails. We're just going to do it. Right. And I think that some dogs spoil us and let us get away with it. You know, they tolerate it. They don't love it, but they let us do it. But like, you know, I know the relationship that you and, and, and Dylan had was pretty profound. Right. And I think everyone listening shares that same sentiment that like that guts them to have to do something that the dog clearly really doesn't like. Right. And I think that that's, that's so much of my motivation for doing it. Right. And like, you know, a lot of the listeners already know this, but Waylon tried to bite a vet tech on several occasions because they restrained him. He was one of those dogs who was like, fuck, no, we're not doing this. I had no choice. You know what I mean? Like, okay, we have to build uh, some consent into this. But um, I, I think that there's so much more to it. Right. And there's so much more that we stand to gain from doing it than just like the act of it itself. Totally. Yeah. And, and now with my two, it's been a whole different journey. I mean, it's, it's going places. Dylan kind of was like, yeah, we'll go pisses. I don't really care. Like the vet sucks, but oh, well, kind of that, that lucky we'll get through it kind of dog. And these two are like, actually we're shepherds and <laughs> people touching us. Not cool. Like restraint. No, thanks. <laughs> and they look scary. So of course everyone's coming into that room with that oh gosh, this is Cujo. And I don't, I don't want it to be Cujo. I want it to be a good thing. And, and, um, yeah. So, so that's a whole new journey that I'm still going through because they're still young. <laughs> right. Oh my God. And there's so much, right. And I think we learn from each dog, but I think when we, it's reinforcing for the human to see the dog willingly participate in something and you knowing that like you had a hand in that, I think that that makes it easier to keep revisiting it and building on it and starting all those like new procedures with each new dog that comes into our care. Yeah, totally. It's really what got me into the education of others with it. Um, I don't know if you know, but I taught cooperative care and restraint for CSU for the um, pre-vet students at CSU, or I'm sorry, the first year vet students at CSU. Um, and that came from, you know, talking to people and being like, wow, how do we do better? How do we do different? And um, a friend of mine was like, I had this position last year. I'm going to, you know, throw your name in the pot for this year. And I was like, great, cool. Um, and that was so fun because it is so reinforcing. And I think not only the owners, but the rest of the team, the veterinary team seeing like, oh, wow, we can do this a different way is it's really an amazing kind of full circle. <laughs> right. And like, I think that there is a lot of like unnecessary shaming of vet staff, right? Like vet staff is not to blame here, right? Like I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus, but I think that if we can all as a collective understand what we all can gain, it's much easier to get a buy-in. And then you really see like the fruits of that over time. Totally. I think that's why we're seeing so many more fear-free certifications cropping up for all of the dog world, shelters, veterinary hospitals, trainers, et cetera. 
Yeah, right. Um, okay, so I want to hear about some of the training you're doing specifically with your own dogs. Um, yeah. As far as like getting that, like the, the trained skills to diffuse an otherwise probably stressful situation. Totally. So they're both completely different. <laughs> um, Fen, my German shepherd has allergies. So we're doing um, monthly cytopoint shots. So he does have to get poked. Um, my vet is amazing and lets me do it at home um, and kind of has, has taught me how. And so I'm doing that at home. Um, he also is getting daily drops in his mouth. So things like um, as we got through the hump of this is a need and we are going to just have to do this. Sorry, buddy. To now, Hey, can you cooperate? Can, can you come over to your station and open your mouth for me? Um, has been quite the journey. So the first few, I guess, weeks was the drops, um, onboarding process. So it was, what we would do is stag him by the collar and gently hold on to him and put the drop in his mouth. And then he got cream cheese. And then outside of that, I was doing training sessions to come to the station, which was a climb near the fridge. Um, if he was on the station, he got cream cheese, then we would show him the drop bottle, cream cheese, et cetera. Um, until I could teach him kind of an open mouth and he kind of like half opens his mouth. <laughs> um, and you know, the bottle coming closer and all of that. So in the morning when we had to, we did it. If um, outside of that, we would do training sessions to work up to opening mouth drops going in. Um, and then our cytopoint shot, since he was a puppy, is but I've worked on uh, chin rests and um, sticky nose target. So keeping your nose stuck to my hand, the palm of my hand, um, and kind of built on that and use lots of things as distractions. Can I touch you with a pen? Can I touch you with my foot? Can someone else touch you? That sort of thing. So now we've worked up to, can I poke you? Um, and luckily it's a, um, the cytopoint shot is on the back of his like scruff area. Um, so it's, I don't have to hit a vein. It's, um, oh gosh, I'm gonna forget the term. It's sub-Q. So it's right under that surface, nothing terrible. The weirdest thing about Cytopoint is it's cold. Um, you have to keep it in the fridge. So it going in is kind of a shock to him. <laughs> um, so that's been fun. The other thing with him is we have to do, um, right now we've, we've jumped up to every three months blood work and um, blood pressure. So he has um, stage two kidney disease. And so we're doing blood work just to monitor that and see if we're seeing anything weird with his kidneys. Um, so that's something we have to go into the vet. Um, and there's three people typically. So there's me, the vet, and a tech usually helping to withhold the vein. Um, and that's been just kind of a journey with talking to my team about what kind of needle are, are we using? Where is the easiest place for him to poke? What position works for everyone? Um, and kind of what we came up as as a team is him standing, doing a back leg, um, being a puncture poke. And um, luckily she's able to use a super small needle because we're not putting fluid in, it's just taking blood out. Um, and he doesn't need a lot, we just need one like tubeful to get those readings. So that's something we practice at home a lot. Um, again, luckily before COVID, I had an awesome vet and we could go in and practice just like chilling in the, the rooms and stuff. Post COVID, um, they, they aren't letting us do that, but she is still letting me come in and help with restrain. There we go. <laughs> um, for that procedure. So that's been really sweet of her. Um, so that's, I think, the, the biggest stuff right now for him, definitely things that I couldn't train for that had to be done was that ultrasound to discover his kidney disease. So I asked, you know, kind of what the process would look like if I could be present. Um, unfortunately, the answer was no. They told me what the process would look like. I kind of just got him prepped. One thing that, that prepped for us looked like was, can you wear a muzzle um, in the vet hospital? And, um, and then he had to, you know, I had to let go of the reins and he had to do that by himself. Um, and that was typically, well, as far as I know, it's, it was a one-time thing. We may have to do another ultrasound one of these days. I loved your ultrasound idea. I thought that was so great using large animal technology. Um, so that's definitely something that people can look into um, if they have a dog that wouldn't be as comfortable with 
out, you know, owner there or having to be put on their back, put into dorsal for something like that. Cause I guess if people don't know to do an ultrasound, you have to put the dog in dorsal. So they have to lay on their back, um, in kind of like a trough thing. And then the tech usually has to like put the cold gel on and then you put the cold creepy ultrasound machine on <laughs> and most dogs it's really scary and you usually have four people holding their legs so that they're kind of flat there on their back um and that's such a scary thing um for anyone I mean I can't imagine if someone like just came in and did that to me um so I loved Rachel's idea of using large animal um, technology where we have like an ultrasound kind of x-ray type thing. Was it an x-ray or an ultrasound? So we, we ended up just having to do an x-ray, but okay. she can yeah. also do the ultrasound. Okay. So just to yeah. fill everybody in, I know some of you already know this. So Waylon had a leg injury and he needed x-rays. My vet was not allowing people in. Waylon was not at a point where without sedation, I felt like he could handle the x-ray. So we're really spoiled to have an amazing network of people. And we have an equine veterinarian who has an x-ray machine that we were able to do it. And I was able to be present. Right. So yeah, th there's a lot of uh, creative problem solving that goes into uh, getting cooperation and care. Okay. So I want to circle back to something just because I know a little bit more about you and Fen and, and his, his story. So I think that a lot of people think that dogs who came from intentional breeders, I know that Fen's breeder used puppy culture. A lot of people think like that's all it takes. And then like vet care is just easy and we can just go forward. And it's not just rescue dogs. It's not just dogs that are coming out of the shelter that need this. It's every dog, right? It doesn't matter how amazing their initial experience was. We still have to prep them for the specifics, right? The specifics of what we need them to tolerate. Totally. Yeah. I, I mean, I think if he was, um, he didn't have some of these medical things that we've discovered, um, and, and I don't think that the average person may have discovered the issues that he's going through. Um, but because of these, there's so much more that he's has to go through. Um, so I think, you know, another puppy from the same breeder and the same litter may not have to go through this and would be totally fine at the vet once a year, getting checkup, getting some shots. Um, and I know a lot of her family pets are totally fine with all of that. The fact that he has to go in every three months, um, you know, that's a little bit extra. And so I wanted to give him extra. One, I didn't, I really didn't want the big black German shepherd that everyone was scared of and was a menace, even though his name is Fenrir. Um, I wanted, you know, I wanted him to be comfortable, but I also wanted him to be kind of my demo dog going forward in, in all of his care. Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell the listeners just a little bit more about Fen, just like as an individual dog? Like, how does he feel about like people in, in the vet in general outside of like his extraordinary circumstances? Yeah, totally. So um, he, yeah, he's a two and a half year old ish um, black German shepherd. He loves people <laughs> um, and he really likes other dogs. He's really, really nicely balanced in that, that he's environmental, um, environmentally savvy, but also really able to kind of stick with me and train with me in distracting environments. Um, he's kind of the best of all the worlds in my opinion, but I'm super biased. Um, <laughs> he loves his vet because she also trains with us. So <laughs> he gets to see her outside of the vet hospital. So it's typically like, yeah, you're here. Um, he does not like restraint. He, we learned that very early on as a puppy. Um, I think one, because that kidney issue, um, it's kind of painful for him to be held. Even me trying to pick him up and put him in the car um, was something that we discovered really early on was quite punishing for him. Um, so oh, which, interesting. So like you yeah. didn't know about the kidney stuff then, but you could observe like, okay, what right. is it about this that's so uncomfortable for him? Totally. And his behavior showed me that. I mean, a couple of times picking him up as he started getting bigger, it, I was like, okay, let's, you know, hop back in the car, come over here and I'll lift you up. And he was like, nah, <laughs> I don't want to be lifted up. So I was like, okay, behavior is information. What are you telling me? How can we fix this? And we ended up teaching him to go up a ramp when he was teeny tiny and now he jumps in. But um, I think looking back, that was definitely early signs that he was uncomfortable with that. Um, and early signs at vet hospitals with strength was definitely not comfortable for him. Again, luckily I, at the time that he was a puppy, I had a really awesome team that was, you know, willing to do whatever for me. 
and um, I could come in and they'd give him pets and scratches and the vet would poke him really quick and it was no big deal. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, that's a little bit more about him. I got him as he was going to be my Schutzen IPG dog. We were going to do all this stuff. And just because of that kidney, um, I, I don't want to put too much strain on him. Um, so now he's, he's just my awesome little demo dog. He's mostly a house dog, um, an adventure buddy. We're tipping our toe in search and rescue and that's been super fun. And he really, really loves it. But, um, yeah, he's, he's great. <laughs> I think, I think it's just always interesting for people to like, understand more about the individual dog. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's yeah. not always the dog who, will bite the vet or the vet tech. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's every dog, every single dog can benefit from this. And yeah, um, you know, to kind of circle back to your point about like what's happening at zoos and husbandry and all of that. I mean, it's remarkable what they do. Yeah. I actually had a gal, um, Kristen who works at the Denver zoo. Yeah. Um, and she was telling us all of the work they do with the husbandry and care like that, you know, and it's, it's so non-negotiable for them. Right. Like in those circumstances, they have no option. The, 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 the animals can't live successfully there if they can't be a part of the care. And I think that, you know, I'm so proud of like dog training as a whole for like really pushing for this and us finally being like, no, we don't need to force dogs down. Right. If we can do it with zoo animals, of course we can do it with our dogs. Totally. Yeah. And cats. I mean, there's so many times I'm like, why are we scruffing this cat? Like, there's towel wraps, there's, um, you know, there's medication for all animals ahead of time that we can be giving to take the edge off and um, make it a better experience for them. So yeah, I really love the kind of reaches that everyone's going to. Yeah. Okay. So I want to hear your, your best advice for people who are in situations where the dog needs care now, right? Yeah. They don't have the luxury of the time, right? Yeah. So can you just share like, you know, what your, your best suggestion would be for people in those circumstances to maintain yeah. the care that the dog needs, but work towards them cooperating in it more in the future. Yeah, totally. That's such a hard position to be in. And I, I feel for people so much and I've, I've been there with all of my animals. Um, I think what I've learned and what the animals have taught me is don't trick them. <laughs> so, you know, the whole, Hey, it's okay. Come over here, hiding the nail clippers or whatever until it's they're in, um, and then bringing out the, the thing that they don't like. So, um, that is going to poison <laughs> a lot of things around that. It could poison the food you're using. It could poison your interaction with them and definitely depletes your reinforcement and, and bank with your animal. Um, it's, it's going to poison the room, it could poison whatever is around them that they're, you know, being tricked into. So making, um, making it clear what you're about to do and that it's going to be shitty. <laughs> um, so showing them the, the needle, showing them the clippers, whatever it might be. I typically pick a bad place and a good place to do things. So if I have to trim your nails, we're going to do it in the, the bad room or we're going to do it outside or whatever. Um, and then I typically, as kindly as possible, I go and get the animal and I bring them to that space versus calling them to that space. Um, and that may be a collar snag. It may be picking up my cat and bringing her to the training room to do her nails or whatever. Um, I take safety measures into big consideration. So if we need muzzles, if we need two people, um, typically we'll do that. I'm a big fan of like distraction. So yeah, if they're going to lick a lick mat or snuffle mat um, or lick peanut butter off of a spoon or whatever, use it. <laughs> the one thing I wouldn't do is put cellophane around your head and put peanut butter on it and then trim your dog's nails. I'm worried about people's faces, but <laughs> seriously, <laughs> not sacrifice your faces. No, <laughs> the way that they are. <laughs> yeah. Put that peanut butter on the wall, put it on the floor, put it somewhere else. <laughs> um, and then do the thing, get the thing done. Um, if you're worried about poisoning that food, which can happen, so many people will tell me my dog doesn't like peanut butter. Um, and I tend to find out it was because we use peanut butter for nail trims or whatever. Um, then 
feed after. So do the uncomfortable thing and then reinforce with whatever it is after the uncomfortable thing is done. Um, I typically, I tend to still be the one to withhold or restrain um, my pets through the comfortable thing. Um, you could take them to someone else and be like, hey, can you get that shot in every month? Can you do the nail trim while I'm training towards cooperative care nail trims? Um, I, I just, I like being part of it. So I'm, I'm aware that I could, you know, ruin that relationship a little bit, but I'm comfortable building that back up fairly quickly. Um, as soon as I get the uncomfortable thing done with, I give them space and freedom and choice. And when they choose to come back, you know, into my space or whatever, as long as that takes, I'm going to be there to reinforce them. Um, likely with something that they really love. <laughs> For my dogs, it's playing with balls on a string, um, but it might be that cream cheese that I was talking about or something like that. So I guess to narrow it down, don't trick them, pick a space or thing, maybe it's a bad crate and a good crate, maybe it's the bad leash and the good leash, whatever. Pick something that is clear to them that it's gonna be a bad time and then let them choose to come back into that relationship and start building it back up from, from wherever you, you know, depleted it to. Yeah. So wise. Right. And I couldn't agree anymore with what you said. And like, you know, I think we, I think we can both agree that like best case scenario, we don't have to force the dogs to do things, but it's not a perfect system. Right. right? And like, right. there is urgency in some matters that like, we don't have the luxury of time, but I think what you said about not calling them into the room, more of a, like, this is what's going to happen. We're going to do it. It's going to be done. You know, right. I think we, I think a lot of us struggle with like the guilt of it. And I almost feel like that guilt and that tentativeness from us only just makes the process longer and worse. So I think it's one of those, yeah. like, take a deep breath, know that you're working towards something better, but try and get the, the, the yucky thing done as quickly as you can and know that you're working to make it a less yucky experience. Totally. Yeah. Just because you have a good system doesn't mean that you couldn't train for a better one. Um, and that may be at the vet hospital and maybe at the house, whatever. Um, the other thing that I was just thinking of was one medication. <laughs> so you can use medication, um, and you could use sedation. So like you were saying with Waylon, if that was a need and you didn't have that creative outlet, we could have sedated him and gotten those x-rays done. Um, so especially for those need moments where you're like, Hey, this, this is his leg. We need to get this done. Do it. Um, the other thing is choosing your wants and your needs carefully. So do I want a border teleshot? Yeah. Do I need the border teleshot today? Maybe not. Um, maybe we can train for that and get it next month or something like that. Um, like Fenn's ultrasound was, uh, it was a need in that moment. The vet, we're in a small town. So the vet was only there once a month and we had to get it done. Um, so, you know, yeah, choosing those, those wants and needs to the best of your ability. And Emmy, my other dog is one that really reminds me of that because there are a lot of things I want to do with her. And she reminds me very quickly <laughs> that those are wants and this is not a need. And maybe, you know, doing a walk in the woods is more important. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's so true. And like, so this is something I have a lot of experience with because Waylon needed a rabies vaccination. He wasn't ready to like go to the vet for real to do it. And I delayed the rabies vaccination. And there was a lot of concern from like, you know, techs and vets in my circle, right? They're like, you can't tell people not to get their dog, their rabies shot. And, and I really felt like they were missing the point of what I was trying to make, right? right? Like, of course, Waylon needs to be vaccinated for rabies, right? right. Like wholeheartedly agree with that. But the compromise of getting him vaccinated so that his, his vaccination didn't lapse far out. The risk was too great. You know what I mean? He's right. a still, he was two at the time. I'm like, I am going to take the time now. And I needed a couple yeah. extra months, but we got it done and he consented. And that means that every vaccination in the future, we have that foundation, not another yucky experience. 
Yeah, totally, totally. Um, and I love, you know, there's, there's so many trainers out there doing this and there's, um, pillars in the training world that I look up to so much in this, um, Laura Monaco Trelli being probably my, my go-to queen of cooperative care. <laughs> um, and I saw it with her Ridgeback. Like that's yeah, like, exactly story of like, wait a minute, this is possible. Are you kidding me? Right. I mean, she wrote like the handouts on this, um, kind of the thing that, that stuck out to me with her newest puppy when he was a puppy is sandwiching the bad thing between lots of good things. So doing, you know, fake pokes and cookies and fake pokes and cookies. And now we're going to do the, the nasty poke and it's going to be uncomfortable and the puppy kind of squirmed and then they reinforced and they did good pokes and cookies and, you know, doing other things, getting other behaviors in there. Can you offer me other things in this environment that I can reinforce you for and build that? um, reinforcement history and reinforcement bank. But, um, I think that that's so important to say like, no, we are going to do this. <laughs> he's not, he's not going to go out into the world unvaccinated forever. <laughs> um, it's just a matter of weighing that, that cost versus benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, for everyone listening, I think understand your individual dog, right? Waylon had several not great experiences. And I knew him as an individual that another not great experience was going to set us way further back than a delay. And yeah. I think, you know, undeniably we have dogs like, you know, my old gal Tiva, for, for instance, um, she tolerates a lot. Oh my <laughs> God. She's one of those dogs that it's like, you take her in. She's like, I don't like this, but okay, you can do it. You know yeah. what I mean? So I think you got to know your individual dog, right? Like if what, if they can talk, not that I want them to have a yucky experience, but if they can tolerate a yucky experience, maybe that happens, you move on and then you do the training, right? So I think, you know, right. as always guys, just really evaluate your individual dog. But I think if you've got a fearful, reactive or aggressive dog that has a history of negative experiences, there should just be more consideration in all of that. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and puppies making as many strides towards happy experiences early on. Um, one thing is talking to your veterinarian about spreading out vaccines so that they're not getting poked three times as tiny puppies, but you could do it like one a week or whatever, because they're getting so many shots in those early weeks and months. Um, the more you can spread those maybe not so fun experiences out, typically I find the better. Um, and trying to just, just train for them as much as possible with puppies. Can you eat a licky mat? Can you eat a licky mat in the vet hospital? Can you eat a licky mat? Um, yeah, it's a distraction. Is it training still? Yeah, totally. Because a tiny puppy doesn't know he can eat peanut butter off a licky mat when someone's poking him, but we can train him to learn that he can. <laughs> and then that poke isn't so bad. Yeah, so much. Yes. And I think that, um, I think, you know, in the age of COVID that we're in now, right? I know that like puppies, almost all the COVID puppies don't have the experience of going in with their owner, right? They just have the experience right. of going in with the vet. And I know so many vets do not take that lightly, right? Like they've got their cookies, they're ready. But I think as yeah. the owner, you know, working on licking peanut butter out of the licky mat and some distracting situations and then have that licky mat ready, have some peanut butter ready right. so you can send it into the vet office with the puppy right? Just because you can't go yeah. in doesn't mean you can't be prepared and help the experience be more enjoyable for the puppy and in turn, make it easier for the vet to do what they need to. Yeah, totally. I mean, can you have a little puppy to go kit that you can give to people when they have to go into the groomer, into the vet, um, with cut up treats, with peanut butter, with all that stuff that, you know, you know, your puppy can have, that's going to be okay for their tummy. And they've had experiencing experience eating it in a lot of different places. Um, can you give a toy or a little um, instructional of do the poke, play with this ball, please, or whatever it might be. <laughs> um, and what a strange place for the rest of us who didn't train our dogs to be handed off to someone in a mask and taken into a building. Like that's a whole new can of worms that we're all dealing with, even though we've maybe trained for let's go into the vet together. Now I have to hand you my dog to a stranger in a mask and leave you. <laughs> so that's a whole different thing, you know, practicing with our, our puppies now. Can you, can you be handed off to someone? Can you happily go with someone? Um, that sort of thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like those skill sets that maybe we never, it never occurred to us to train. Now it's like, okay, yeah. this needs to go back on the priority list. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, okay. So, so we've talked a lot about veterinary care, but I know that the Facebook group is really geared toward grooming, right? Grooming, nail, nail trimming, all of that stuff. So um, can you share just a little bit more about um, your experience like this, like the grooming going forward, as far as like groomers being present are, are the humans doing the grooming? Like, what does that kind of like look like in like a real life setting? Right, totally. Um, I mean, I have so much stinking respect for uh, all the professionals in this community, but um, groomers have a particularly hard job and that they have to really, really mess with the dog. Um, they have to really get in there and it depends on every dog, but I'm thinking like those doodles, they, they're going to get touched all over the weird clippers are going to get touched them, all of that. So, um, I think having some little grooming items at home and it doesn't have to be, you know, expensive clippers, you could use maybe a toothbrush that's, um, electric to get puppies used to the feel of this across their body. Um, getting dogs who are going to require grooming needs used to their face being grabbed and held. So typically um, to get around the eyes and get around the ears, they're gonna hold their little mustache area <laughs> and clip around there. So getting puppies used to that and comfortable with that um, is a huge thing. Um, I was, again, I talked to a lot of groomers until I found, um, a couple that would let me bring Fen in as a puppy to do happy grooms. So they would let him kind of run around while they were doing blow dryers and hearing the water and all of that stuff, um, and not even touch him. And then the next time they'd put him in the tub and they'd wash him. And then the next time they'd blow dry. And then, so kind of getting them used to that. And I think it's so important and way more important for dogs that need um, grooming maintenance for the rest of their life. Um, not only that, but I think a lot of my groomer friends will say doing brushing at home is so essential because that is the hardest thing. If a dog comes in and they haven't been brushed in the last few weeks that they've they've been to the groomer, it's going to be way harder for the groomer to get through the hair, keep the dog from being uncomfortable because those mats build up and then pull the skin in. And so it's super uncomfortable to be touched, to be poked and prodded, to be washed, all of that. So brushing your puppy at home is, is very, very imperative. Any breed, I'm sure. I mean, my pit bull hardly needs brush, but, <laughs> but it's still important to practice. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and teaching, teaching a start button or teaching something for the dog to say, okay, put the brush to me. Um, because Fen is tall and long, I taught him to put two feet on a climb or on a station. And that was his, okay, go ahead and brush me. And I would, um, Emmy is her lateral. So everything for her is lateral. She's the most comfortable in that position. Um, and that's her, okay, for me to do X, Y, Z, whatever weird thing. Um, obviously with my history with Dylan, nail trims are something that I love to practice now, um, and get the dogs used to. <laughs> and, um, and it just depends on the dog. Fen has a easier time with the Dremel than the Clippers. Emmy has an easier time with the Clippers than the Dremel. So, you know, it just kind of depends on the dog and, and what they're telling you and remembering that behavior is information. So what they, show whatever behavior that is, is going to tell you something, whether that's yes, keep going or no, please stop. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so, okay. So as far as the start button is concerned, right. So for those listening who aren't super familiar with like what that means, can you give like, just like, you know, an example of like new dog, you're working on training it, like what would maybe be an approach? So I guess maybe like figuring out what position your dog is maybe the most comfortable in. I don't know. You tell us. Yeah, totally. So this is a concept that I first heard from the lovely ladies at Carpe Momentum and, um, and they talked about it for agility, I believe yeah. specifically, but, um, I started thinking about it for other things and, and researching it and people were thinking about it for other things. And so for cooperative care for me, it looks like, what are you the most comfortable in for the duration of what this is going to take? Um, and then how, for me, what kind of behavior or position can I put you in that's going to be 
the easiest on me as well. Like if you're comfortable in lateral, but I have to do in lateral, meaning like flipped over full body on her side. Um, but I have to do a shot in between your shoulder blades. That's going to be a little bit more difficult for me or the vet or whoever. So I need you in, um, if it's a down, I need you in more of a sphinxy looking down or whatever. Um, so what's most comfortable for you while still being able to get the procedure done? Um, a lot of people put dogs in dorsal to do nails. I, for me, it's very flashy and amazing. Um, I do not have dogs that are comfortable being put into dorsal or, or even want to offer or be shaped to go into dorsal. Like it's kind of a weird thing for them. Um, maybe standing is the most comfortable and we can teach you to stand and put your chin on, um, a chair and that's your start button. So basically the start button is the animal's way of telling us, yes, please proceed. If they get out of that position, so if they lift their head or um, they get off of the, the station or whatever, that's their no, please stop. And so it's a clear, um, kind, easy way for them to ask for time or space or whatever. So it's our job as the trainer or the one, um, going forward with the procedure to say, okay, he said, no, I need to stop. And then we see, do you want to offer start again? Can I keep going or no? Um, and then I do typically teach, uh, like you're, you're totally done. So if you leave the room, we're totally done. Training's over. No big deal. Um, it's my, my job then to, to consent to that and say, okay, we're done versus, oh, can we get one more? I, I know I can get one more. <laughs> um, and I typically do that with any training. So even if we're working on like tricks or whatever, if you leave the room, totally fine. Mom overdid it. We're done. Let's do something tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like, I mean, seeing the start button in action and then like the consent as it progresses is so beautiful. I yeah. mean, like, you know, again, here we are with Waylon. He's taught me everything. It seems like, but, um, you know, same thing. We tried to do his nails. He didn't like it. I didn't spend much time on it. Then we had this whole monster on our hands where he's like, Nope, no one can touch my nails. You can never clip them ever again. And we do the scratch board and that's beautiful for those front nails. The back nails kind of needed it. And we built the start button into it. He does a sustained nose touch and yeah. it's the best. Like knowing that, like, not only is it gratifying that his nails got clipped, but it's even better knowing that he consented to the whole thing. Right. Totally. And I mean, even you, you think back to like being a kid and being able, if someone was able to tell you, Hey, you can say no if you want. And now I think parents are really, really on top of this and doing more and more, but the dentist was a scary place for me. And I didn't need, I didn't need a whole lot of dentistry care, but going in every year and like having someone in your mouth is terrifying. And I just wish there was, there's was something back then that I could be like, can you please like, hold off for just a second. <laughs> I, need a I need a break. Yeah. And I think that's, um, that's kind of what that stop is. Hey, I need a break. Maybe that's for the day. Maybe that's just for a couple of seconds, whatever it might be. I do tend to in the early stages feed what, um, or reinforce the dog when they ask for that break. Um, once it's pretty established, obviously the functional reinforcer is that I stop doing the thing to you. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, and I think that, um, you know, I think a lot of times people's mind go to like, well, if I give them the choice, they're never going to choose to do it. And it couldn't be further yeah. from the truth. It really yeah. couldn't because, you know, it's incredible when I'm, when I can tell, you know, Waylon moves away and he's like, I need a second. I'm like, cool, not a problem. He's like, oh, with that known, okay, cool. I'm ready to do it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like when I don't push and I don't ask more of him than he's capable of doing, it is so much easier for him to choose to come back and do the thing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing thing when, when you have a choice in the matter, how much you or your pets choose to do it again. Oh, I, I can leave the vet hospital or I can leave the dentist chair. Great. Yeah. Actually I do need to come back because my tooth is kind of hurting. <laughs> It is kind of uncomfortable to walk on talons. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of people, whether it's shelter workers or breeders or um, whoever it might be, is they're being really conscious of teaching dogs and puppies to tolerate. And I think that's a great thing until 
you need more. Uh, and that's where this extra training may come into to play. Um, and or <laughs> you, you've had bad experience with a past dog and you don't want to do that again kind of thing. Yeah. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. Right. I have the opposite. Sonny loved having his nails dremeled. He was always like, yes, let's do this. So we get spoiled, <laughs> right? Like there's the flip side of that too, right? We get spoiled with the dog who was like super into it and we feel really good about it. And yeah. like in Sonny's case, I didn't do anything for that. Really. I just got it for free. You know what I mean? Right. It's been, it's been a humbling lesson. Like, cool not getting this for free. I need to do the work. But then like, once they understand the concept, you can translate it to so much. Yeah, totally. And I really think that's why, um, our treatment right now is going so smoothly and so quickly, even though we did have to do some half twos, um, is because we worked on it so much when he was little. Um, and with Emmy, not only that, but my training has gotten so much better for her because I've had to work through this with you know, two other dogs. So we're, we're able to go further and take our time because I know what I want in the future and what I want that to look like if she ever needs care. Yeah. And I think all of this training prepares us for those oh shit moments that we couldn't predict. We didn't see it coming. Right. Like, you know, Waylon, um, cut his paw recently. And before all of this, I never would have been able to get in there and like, do what I needed. But I had, I'm like, okay, cool. He knows how to consent. I'm going to ask him to do this. I'm going to get in there and do the thing. And it was seamless. Yeah. I think that putting in all the effort now, there's just going to be countless opportunities for you to use it throughout your dog's life. Right. And ultimately your life just gets to be easier because you don't have to force a dog or restrain a dog or chase the dog down to get something done. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, well, I'm, I'm super blessed and lucky to live close to mountains. There are pokies, there's um, cactus everywhere. And the dogs have typically, you know, picked up that, oh, that thing's pokey, don't touch it, but they still get cactus in their foot. So being able to do kind of on the go out in the woods cooperative care is so beneficial to both of us. Um, Cause I'm not getting flung <laughs> pokies in my face or arms, <laughs> but I'm also being able to take care of them and continue on our walk instead of having to end our walk and, you know, go into the vet or something. Yeah. And I feel like it just further promotes the communication and connection we all strive for with our dogs. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be like, come over here. I got to do this thing. You know what I mean? It's, it turns things that otherwise would be non-negotiable to a conversation that the dog ultimately is willing to participate in. Yeah, totally. And we're avoiding things like flooding them in those situations by, by grabbing them and, and, um, you know, having to hold them down or whatever it might be. And I think, um, there was a really great comment by someone, um, I think it was Mara with Shelter Playgroup Alliance saying once we're, once we say to our dogs, you know, something like, oh, it's okay. You'll be fine. Shh, it's okay. It's okay. We're likely in a flooding stage where we're just flooding them, um, to get the behavior done. And if we can avoid those, we're going to have a way better relationship with that animal moving forward. Yeah. Right. And I think that, you know, a lot of people listening can probably think of examples in their own life where, you know, back to like the poisoning you're talking about, right. That, you know, yes, you can get away with doing X, Y, or Z, but if you continue to do that, there starts to become fallout in other circumstances, right. Unintended things. And I think everything, you know, every part of training that I advise someone to do, I do in my own life is always to preserve, if not improve the connection, trust, understanding between me and the dog, right? And the more we can do for that, just the better it gets, right? Instead of like backsliding and like, well, now they won't let me do this or now they won't let me do that. Like, you know, I think a a lot of well-meaning people are like, I don't understand why. But when you look back at all of the things we took for granted with the dog and we didn't get their consent, it actually makes plenty of sense that there there comes a, a quote unquote boiling point. Right. Totally. Yeah. And, and consent starts so early on, um, in a puppyhood, in puppyhood, as well as in our daily interactions, like every time we're, we're interacting with that dog, are we looking for consent? Are we looking for, um, early signals that they need a break or they don't want this? You know, can I say hi to your puppy? I don't know. Can, can he come say hi to you? He can't right now. Sorry. He doesn't want to, and I'm going to protect him against, you know, 
having to <laughs> versus making him say hi because he may go and eat that cheese from the stranger, but he may not be consenting to do that. Um, and I think we're, we're getting there with humans that we have more, op, op, uh, an, uh, I'm going to say anatomy, um, optometry, that's not right either, whatever word that is, um, in our own, like, being to say no or to consent to things. And um, I think our animals deserve the same. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> And I think, you know, the shift, right? Just like even, not even just like what our dog is doing, but like our shift in our own awareness and understanding of like what we are worthy of as humans. You know what I mean? Like it's right. so much more than just a dog training conversation. It always is. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really understanding ourselves and realizing that like, just because we were subjected to things and we're quote unquote fine, doesn't mean that that has to be our future. We don't have to choose that anymore, right? We get to choose right. whatever we want. And I think that the beauty of teaching our dogs to consent in a lot of this stuff is that we see examples in our own life where maybe we can consent to more things that bring us joy or say no to things that don't, you know? Like right. um, there's a lot of ripple effects from all of this. In the oh my gosh, totally. Right, I mean, just, just switching to positive reinforcement and committing my training goals with that and training journey with that switched so much of my thinking from looking for all the wrong that everyone around me was doing to looking for all the right. And, and now, you know, that plus all of the consent that I'm being given from those around me <laughs> and can, and can give. <laughs> Dude, we're so, we're, we do not deserve dogs. That is the moral of the story, but they live with us and they teach us all these things about ourselves anyways. Okay, this was so amazing. So for everyone listening, can you tell them if they wanted to um, work with you, right? Because obviously guys, um, she can help you. It is COVID age. She would be happy to help you virtually. If people need help with specific cooperative care stuff, can you tell them what the best place to connect with you would be? Yeah, so my company is Alpine Behavior and Training, um, and I'm under the same name on all the social medias. Um, Facebook and Instagram are the biggest platforms that I'm on, um, trying to do more YouTube stuff. Um, I have a handful of different groups, in including the cooperative care group, um, and you can always shoot me an email at admin at alpinebehaviorandtraining.com amazing okay and i'll be sure to link all of that up in the show notes as well as the facebook group everyone please go and join the facebook group even if you never post i swear every time i look i like learn something new right <laughs> oh my god okay so i just want to tell this and, and then I, I will let you go but someone commented about using like a dry piece of pasta and clipping that with the nail clippers as like a splitting step and i was yeah. like brilliant absolutely yeah. brilliant right so yeah the, um, the back end of a clicker makes a really nice sound against a Dremel, like a nail too. Just so you know. <laughs> God, so genius. Okay. Everyone join the Facebook group. Krista, thank you so much. This has been so much. Thanks, fun. Rachel. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you need help with your dog's behavior, you can learn more about our training services at agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. We post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the Instagram at agoodfeeling underscore NCO. If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, it's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.